The scripture reading for this morning will be from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who, who once were off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his in his flesh and the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new main in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, to the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The Christian blessing of unity is one that we must consciously extend to everybody who comes to Jesus for salvation. And I want to spend the rest of my time explaining to you why I think that is. You know, not everybody can be in the band. You may audition, but doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it into the band. Not everybody uh, makes the team. You got to play. You got to play well enough to be on the team. Not everybody gets accepted into that college, whatever that college is. You got to make the grades for it, or if you are one of the Hollywood higher ups, you got to have enough money for it. But my question is: in all of those cases, is the church like that? Is the church the way that Jesus designed it supposed to be like that? Where you got to have the social and intellectual and economic and spiritual credibility to make it. You got to have what it takes to be part of the church. Do you have to be good enough to make the cut? And the simple answer is no. No. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to make the cut, quote unquote, to be in his church. What does it take to be in Jesus' church? Do you have to be raised with it? Do you have to pass a Bible knowledge exam to, to get admittance into this kingdom, citizenship in this kingdom? Or do you have to be a personality type of a certain, you know, a certain personality type, fit a certain social mold? I hope not, because most of y'all are breaking those molds. What does it take? What does it take to be in among Christians? Well, to be in among Christians, you need to be a Christian. And that's really all that it is, isn't it? That if you put your faith in Jesus and if you acknowledge Him as your King, then we have a seat here for you. If you put your faith in Jesus, if He is the King of your life, then there is a seat among the people of God for you. We have a seat for everybody who does that. And I want to just show you this morning that it must really always be that way. And so let me show you through three lenses how I look at this idea. Number one, we want to talk about your place in this place, then we'll look at everybody's responsibility to make that happen, and then we'll look at what God, is, what God means to do when all of that happens. And so the first one here, your place. The Bible gives us a couple of examples. I'm going to show you one in the positive and one in the negative of how this ought to work. So in Galatians chapter 3, if you have a Bible, run over there in Galatians chapter 3. Let me show you just one quick verse there. A positive example, a positive example uh, that shows us... Actually, I'm going to give you two now that I think about it. So there you go. There's one on the screen. There's one in my notes. So we're going to do them both. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28... It says there, as he talks about the church, as he talks about people that have come to believe in Jesus, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that regardless of where you have come from, 
you have come to Jesus Christ when you come to this, when you come among his people. And when you have come to him, you are welcome here regardless of where you have come from. The other example there from Acts chapter 9 shows us somebody that experienced that personally. Saul of Tarsus, a man well known among disciples for being a persecutor. He becomes a Christian. He comes to believe in Jesus. He shows up to worship. How do you think that's going to go? Well, they're a little hesitant about it at first, but once somebody vouches for him, it says the text says that he was able to come and go among the disciples. What does that mean? That means that he is welcome among them, that there is a seat among the people of God for this man who used to persecute, but now who believes in Jesus. And that's the case for all of us. Now, let me show you one negative example. This from 3 John. That short little one chapter book tells us the story about a man named Diotrephes who would not let some people into the church, made it his personal mission to make sure that you are good enough to make the cut. Well, you know from the way we started this message, that's not going to work, and it doesn't work at all with the Apostle John. He says, when I come, I will call him out for what he's doing, because that is not okay among the people of God. And so this is, this is really the crux of the matter right here. This is, we're getting straight to the heart of it early this morning, that when we talk about being a group of God's people, we need to always make sure that there is a seat open among us for anybody else who becomes one of God's people. I taught yesterday at a Bible study in southern Indiana, and one of the topics that I was given to teach about was, is Christianity an exclusive religion? And we talked about that from a kind of an apologetic standpoint, that Christianity must be an exclusive religion because it cannot be any other religion. It cannot be Islam. It cannot be Judaism. It cannot be Buddhism. Christianity must be exclusively Christian. However, when I asked the question to the group to get the whole thing started, I said, so guys, you tell me, is Christianity exclusive? There was one very perceptive lady in the corner of the room who went, yes and no. <laughs> Which I, if you've been in my Bible classes, you know I kind of like that kind of answer. <laughs> and so I, th I thought about that. I thought about what she, what she meant by that. And I think she's 100% right, because yes, we are exclusive. We are exclusively committed to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. We are exclusively committed to that teaching, to that conviction. And at the same time, we are inclusive, because our Lord taught us that anyone who comes to Him in faith can be a Christian. Anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus is welcome among people who truly believe in Jesus. And so there is always a seat open for someone who believes and is willing to make Him the King of their lives. As I said a little while ago, no matter where you come from, you acknowledge Him as your King and you are welcome in His kingdom. And so are you a single parent? Are you divorced? Have you had affairs in the past? Do you struggle with depression? Do you struggle to make ends meet? Have you got a record? Has your life been generally hard and you've got a lot of regrets? Then guess what? There's a seat in the kingdom of God for you. On the, same, on the other side of that coin, what if you have a clean record? What if you've been raised in church? Do you have a Harvard degree? Do you have a really stable job and, and a healthy family and you generally live a good life? Then you know what? There is the same seat available in the kingdom of God for you. The same one. No one is better or worse than anybody else when Jesus makes us new. We come to Him. There is no male nor female. There is no Greek nor Jew. There is no slave nor free. We come and we are in Christ. 
There is nobody, brothers and sisters, who is too bad to come to Jesus and there is nobody who is too good to need Jesus Christ. Nobody. And so your place, your place is where we hope to see everybody. We hope to see you in a church in the place for saints under the rule of Jesus Christ. And that will inherently mean that we hope to see you among the people of Jesus Christ. When I go places, when I, when I preach in other congregations and they ask me, how's things going at Eastland? One of the things that I love to brag about and that I love to, I love to brag about a lot of things about this group. I love to brag on you. I like you guys. I don't know if you knew that yet, but now I'm telling you, okay? But one of the things that I like to talk about, many of the many things for which I can give thanks to God, one big one is that we have a good spread of people here in this group. There's old and young, and there are no big empty age brackets in between the old and the young. It's not as though we're just missing a whole you know, section of the age demographics. There are various social types that are all well represented here in this group. We come from diverse economic backgrounds here in this group. And we live currently in diverse economic statuses. And we come from a, an array of ethnic and cultural backgrounds as well. And if you, so if you take a cross-section of this group, you're going to find that there are people from many different walks of life and, and with vastly differing backstories that have all come to be close to Christ and to be close to His family here. Now, is that something worth bragging about about ourselves? Is that a win all by itself? No, not the diversity of itself. The win, brothers and sisters, is in the fact that in our diversity, we enjoy harmony. That's what this is really about. That when we keep Jesus at the forefront of everything that we are, there is no Greek and Jew, no circumcised and uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but in the words of Colossians 3, Christ is all and in all. This is why there's a seat for everybody. And as long as we remember that Jesus is our King, then we can continue to let this kind of thing happen. So that leads me to my second thing here. Who is responsible for making this happen? Well, everybody is. Everybody is. And to show you that, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read just a few verses there in the opening of that uh, toward the beginning of that chapter. <clears throat> this is Ephesians 3. I'm going to start in verse 4. The apostle says to the group of the whole group of the saints, it's to all the saints in Ephesus, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, here it is, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Now what does that mean? It means that people who were formerly divided from one another are now brought together. There is no distinction anymore because both are in Christ. Everyone has a seat in the kingdom. The same thing that we've been talking about. And I have to point out here again, to whom is this written? It's written to the saints who are in Ephesus. Not to the elders and the deacons, not to the preacher, not to not not just specific groups within the saints. It's written to all the saints, and so I take that to mean that it's everybody's job. 
It's everybody's job to make sure that we are contributing to unity among the people of God. That includes the newcomers and it includes the old timers, the long timers in the congregation. We all have a responsibility to get connected and to make the most of unity in this congregation. Whether you're a newbie or a seasoned pro with Eastland, it is your job to work on unity in this congregation. That also means the newcomers and the long timers with the faith itself. Not just with this congregation, but with the faith. I'm calling them the lifers and the laters, right? Those who have grown up knowing the truth about Jesus, which is a wonderful, healthy blessing from God. And those who, like the parable that Jesus told about the vineyard owner that went and found somebody to work at the 11th hour and he brought him in and paid him a day's wage. Those people that come to faith later in life, they have a place here too. You have a place here too. And it's also your job to make sure that others have a place here. Now, I said just a minute ago, he didn't write that instruction just to the elders and the deacons and the teachers. But let's be honest, leaders and teachers have a special responsibility in this. That when it comes to fostering unity and making sure that there's always a seat for everybody here, those of us who lead and who teach have a special role in making sure that we are deliberately creating harmony. It is the role of men and women. It is the role of young and old among us to be participating in all of this. And by the way, before I move on from this one, can I say a special word right there to the teenagers and to the young adults? That you'd be surprised, some of you guys, how important your particular role is in the unity of God's church. You guys have all kinds of power. You younger guys... You guys have all kinds of power to let somebody know very clearly that they are either welcome here or unwelcome here. If somebody comes in and a teenager says, hey, I'm really glad that you're here today, they know that this church means it. <laughs> and if somebody comes in and a teenager is really rude to them, they're going to take that to mean that the rest of the church doesn't care either. And so I'm just saying that to you to say that you guys have all kinds of power in this. And it is therefore your responsibility as much as everybody else's to make sure that people know there is a seat there. There is a seat here in this congregation and in God's kingdom for them. Now, how do you do that? A couple of practical pieces of advice here. OK, just a couple of really quick bullet points, ways you can put this to work. Number one, be welcoming to our guests. It matters, y'all. It makes a big difference if we are welcoming to our guests. And the Lord talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14, but that's tonight's message, so we're going to just save it until then. But be welcoming to our guests. And then add to that, be welcoming to the new members of our church family. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and admit, there's no substitute for time when it comes to building deep relationships. It's always going to take a long time to build a long-time friendship, period. That's just how that works. But we can kickstart the process by deliberately enfolding people into our group and letting them know that this place is their place too. And so that's one thing that we want to do. Number three, we want to encourage new converts. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to say things wrongly. They're going to, they're going to do things that seem a little silly to those of us who are a little more seasoned with our faith. But we've got to be patient. And we teach with patience and encouragement rather than with criticism and harshness. Encourage new converts. Number four in this list, make sure that you look past the distractions and the ways that well, we're just so different from them. We've talked about that all through this year. Our goal is to see every person as a soul whom God loves. That is what unifies us. We are unified by our faith in Him. And then 
that leads seamlessly into this next one. Make sure that what you're doing is sharing that faith with others. Share the Gospel. Teach other people the story and the commandments of Jesus so that they will be, believe in Him and come to be part of us. Now, why? And maybe that's a question that you've asked at some point earlier than this in this preaching theme for this year about unity and action. Why? Right? It sounds nice, and that's great, and we, you know, we, we appreciate that it's nice. It would be great if there was a, a group of people that lived in harmony and we didn't worry about them fighting and dividing and all that kind of stuff. But is there anything to it that makes it more than nice? And I would say to you that the answer to that is, is a very deep explanation that yes, there is more to it than just it being nice for us to be unified. And it goes all the way back as so many concepts do in our, in our understanding of God and His ways. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Do we just want to have unity and make sure that we have a seat for everyone so that people know they are accepted? Well, yes. I mean, we do want that. That is... That is exactly the goal in many cases. It is a blessing to know God and to know that you are loved in a community that is His. But as I say, unity is one of these things that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where when God created mankind, He immediately created a community. Now it was just two people, and I understand that. But God immediately created people to be in communion with each other. And they were in perfect fellowship with God and with each other when He first created them. The story of Genesis is the story of so many things happening at once, but one of those, one of the many layers to that is the breakdown of unity among people that happens again and again. And so Adam and Eve lose their perfect fellowship with God and with each other in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, two brothers, their relationship completely falls apart. They lose the family unity there. A few chapters later, when all the people of the earth decide that they're going to be united, they're going to do something great together. They are going to be united finally. They do that in a sinful and arrogant way and it brings about a division that scatters them across the entire face of the earth. This is the story of the Tower of Babel, as you know, from Genesis 11. And yet, with that as the lead up, that's Genesis 11. Genesis 12 is the story of God choosing one family, the family of Abraham, and telling him, you will be a blessing to all people. Immediately on the heels of the worst division in the world history up to that point, the next story is about God healing our division. And so this is what the church is supposed to be. We are the people who are blessed by Jesus as our Savior and King, and we are brought together as God intended us to be together. Not by our own ideas, not by our own arrogant motives, but by His power, His love, and His way of life. That's what we want. When Christ is our King then we become a picture of a restored humanity back to the way that God eternally intended us to exist. Sin separates, but God brings unity. And so in Christ, that's exactly what we have. There is a seat for everyone among the people of God who is willing to become one of the people of God. And thank God that we have a King who cares enough about us to make that possible.
So then the question is, are you in or are you out? Did you make the cut? Are you good enough? Well, you're not. And none of us are either. None of us. Nobody is good enough. But there is a seat in the kingdom of God for you. Because there is a seat made available by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I said this a little while ago, there's two things that we want for every single person. We want you to, number one, be under Jesus' rule. And number two, we want you to be under, to be among God's people. The church is the place for saints and believers and Christians. And we want to be a place where we are always bringing in new faces among that group because we want to share the good news and we want to bring people into this community. And so are you ready to take that step and to join into that community and to be part of His kingdom to take your seat among the people who love Jesus as their King and have been redeemed by His blood? And if you want to do that and you want to talk to me about what that means or to one of the elders of this congregation, you can let us know that by coming forward while we stand and sing this hymn.